Right, let's turn to Luke chapter 1, the first Sunday of Advent. We're going to look together at uh, Mary and uh, Mary's response, her godly response to God's approach. I think sometimes we don't concentrate very much on Mary for a number of reasons. Um, but Luke gives great prominence uh, to her in his account of the birth of Jesus. And uh, we're going to look particularly this morning at Mary's song, the Magnificat, coming from the uh, opening words in the Latin. And these are the words that open Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I wonder how you respond to God this morning. Sometimes we think about the things that we believe, and those things are important. And the Bible teaches us things we are to believe. But, but above all, we are to respond to the living God himself. And uh, this is Mary's response after the visit of Gabriel and then her time with Elizabeth. And uh, as she comes to the end of that time, she, she glorifies, she magnifies the name of the Lord. And she remembers in her song that the Lord is mighty and merciful, that he is holy, that he is the helper in time of need. He's the God of the covenant. He's the one who entered into a relationship with Abraham and his descendants and who made great promises, which he was now fulfilling in the coming of the Messiah. And also she thinks about God. She calls him my Savior. Uh, she recognizes that God is the God of her salvation and of all who look to him. And so it's an outburst of praise as Mary humbly contemplates the mercies of God. And I wonder whether there's a song of praise in our hearts this morning as we come to worship God. It's possible, isn't it, to go through a time of worship and to be uh, strangely cool, in a sense, and, and not really feeling some of the great things that we consider. And so I want us to think about Mary as a, a godly young woman. We don't know exactly how old she was. Uh, one of the commentaries, a more recent commentary, says she was between 13 and 18. That's quite a range, isn't it? But certainly she was a, a young teenage girl. And uh, she was an ordinary Jewish girl. She lived in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth may well be on the itinerary now for people who make visits uh, to Israel, but it was just a, a small place uh, out of the way, and yet Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he came from. And uh, she went after the angel had appeared to her, to Elizabeth, in order to confirm her faith, because she's told that Elizabeth, whom people thought could not possibly have a child, was carrying a child, John the Baptist. And uh, so she, she was uh, an ordinary girl in an out-of-the-way place. And uh, through the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, God draws near to her. She was obviously familiar with the Old Testament and... Uh, the things there that were precious to her. Uh, the words that she has in this Magnificat are very uh, reminiscent of some of the Psalms and particularly of Hannah's song, Hannah the mother of Samuel. And we know that Mary was a thoughtful person. Uh, later in Luke's Gospel, we're told uh, after the shepherds came 
to visit her and Joseph and the new baby, that she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Sometimes that's we're tempted to think that uh, younger people can't really be serious about knowing God and that somehow when you're older it's easy or more likely, but that's not the case. And here this, this young girl is very thoughtful, susceptible uh, to the things of God. When Jesus stays behind in the temple at the age of 12 and uh, they have to search for him and they ask him why he's done that and he talks about having to be about his father's business. Uh, she didn't understand what he was saying to them. In other words, her understanding was growing. Um, but she was seeking to understand what exactly it meant for this child to fulfill the purpose of God. And so one man says he, she was a deeply spiritual and meditative child of God, thinking about the things of God. That's really important, isn't it? We may read the Bible and then close it and forget what we've read. We may hear a sermon and we say, well, perhaps that was helpful or not, and we forget what we heard. Uh, but Mary reflected on these things. She thought upon them. Because the angel's message to her was a perplexing one. And it was going to be many difficulties for her. Uh, she was betrothed to Joseph, the village carpenter. They were planning to be married. Now, uh, their betrothal had been arranged by their families. It wasn't like our modern arrangements. Uh, the families would have agreed to them being betrothed, which was something more than our engagement, a solemn commitment to be married. And now she is going to conceive a child, uh, a unique pregnancy, uh, the virgin conception by the Holy Spirit. We talk about the virgin birth, and that is true, but it's the conception of a child in the womb of this young woman by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she knew that that had big consequences for her. And because of its unique nature, why would people believe what she said? They would surely believe that she had been unfaithful to Joseph. And uh, Joseph himself struggled with that when he heard that Mary was expecting a child. He too drew that conclusion. She's been unfaithful to me. And he, he, he wanted to bring their relationship to an end in a quiet and discreet way, but he wanted it to end. Because uh, if he married her when she had been unfaithful to him, it would cause his reputation to be tarnished. And, and had he not married her, she probably would have lived in disgrace for the rest of her life and never been married. The significance of conceiving the Lord Jesus Christ in this special way was was very great. Yet it was only when God revealed to Joseph what had happened that he took Mary to be his wife. And... Uh, accepted her and knew that she had not been unfaithful to him. And then when the time came for the child to be born, uh, they had to undertake a long journey uh, to Bethlehem when she was late in her pregnancy. And uh, she traveled all that way and gave birth to the, to the Lord Jesus uh, in very strange circumstances, uh, not normal circumstances. And then the flight to Egypt, because Herod wanted to kill the child, and they had to go into exile. They came south from Nazareth to Bethlehem, then further south to Egypt. And then her whole growing understanding of who Jesus was and what he'd come to do, 
and, and uh, she was told things here that were really important, but in understanding him growing up and coming to maturity and adulthood and then beginning his ministry, uh, that was something she, she grew in her understanding of. We grow too in our, in our knowledge of God. We find sometimes that there are passages of scripture that we've read many times, and then one day you read it and you think, I, now I see what that means. Or we sing hymns and they have wonderful words in them and we've sung them and not thought about them and then suddenly, perhaps in a particular certain situation in our life, we, we realize what they're saying. And Mary went through that sort of process. I think it's likely that Joseph died before Jesus began his public ministry. Perhaps that's why he remained at home in Nazareth for longer. And certainly he made provision for Mary when he hung upon the cross that that John would look after her. And uh, when uh, earlier on, when uh, Joseph and Mary took uh, Jesus up to Jerusalem, to the temple, and uh, to offer the sacrifice, and uh, Simeon took the Lord Jesus in his arms, and he said uh, a number of things. One of them was this, that a sword will pierce your own soul too. So the implications of what she was told uh, by the angel were massive, total change in her life and her circumstances. Uh, you know, sometimes people talk about wanting to be in the will of God, and, and when we say that, and it's a good thing to want to be in the will of God, we tend to assume perhaps, well, if we are, then everything will be straightforward. Um, but it wasn't like that for Mary. She was certainly accepting of all that she was told, uh, she said, as the angel left her, may it be to me, as you have said. But uh, there were all kinds of challenges that she faced, and faced from a very early age. And one man, as he comments on Mary, says, how beautiful does womanhood appear in the light of these scenes. The grace of God making the spices of modesty, simplicity, and religious susceptibility which are the characteristics of the sex, so charmingly to flow out. Uh, here is Mary, a young girl, teenage girl in Nazareth, and uh, she's told this amazing message. And uh, she responds humbly and thankfully to God's approach. And you know, it's an encouragement to us and a help to us as we face different circumstances in our lives. Uh, things that happen which perhaps we hadn't anticipated and maybe didn't want in many ways. And yet, because we recognize that God is in them, we respond positively to them and we affirm our trust to him. Uh, it's Mary's humility and her thankfulness that is particularly striking in this passage as she glorifies the Lord and rejoices in God her Savior, that he has been mindful of her and of her humble state. What she's really saying is, I'm a nobody. Perhaps only some people in Nazareth knew her, even though it was a small community. Outside Nazareth, she was unknown. In the vast world, she was a, a nobody in a sense, but God was mindful of her. And uh, that's something which I think every Christian whilst our circumstances are different from Mary's, can say, why, why should the Lord have revealed to me the wonderful truths of the gospel? 
and his glory in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful privilege it is. And so she wants to extol God, to enthusiastically praise him for what he has done for her. She says, my soul glorifies. He's talking about always glorifying, magnifying his name and uh, rejoicing. And, and he, she's speaking there of something that is particular. It's this occasion which causes her to rejoice. She always magnifies his name, but she rejoices in this particular situation with an overwhelming joy in God. It's the same word as is used of the, the baby in the Elizabeth's womb in verse 44 who leaps for joy. It, it wasn't just an ordinary movement. It, it was a sense of ec ecstasy and joy from this baby as he hears the sound of Mary's greeting. And uh, so she's, she's aware of this great thing that God has done for her. She's emotionally aware of it, of the wonder of what is happening to her, and of the immeasurable contrast between her present obscure, humble state and the immense publicity and honor which would inevitably be hers throughout all succeeding generations. She understands it in a measure. This is a life-changing experience because uh, the Christ child has been conceived in her womb. And you know, thankfulness is a distinguishing mark of a believer. Uh, Christians may go through all kinds of struggles and troubles, but thankfulness is one of their characteristics. In the church in Deeside, there was a lady who came along, an elderly lady called Mrs. Lees. Um, she had spent her early years in service, and uh, her husband had been involved in manual labor. They had no children. And when she was 68 years old, suddenly she lost her sight. And uh, her husband had died, and she was living alone. And uh, she coped remarkably with, with the day-to-day -day routine, stayed in her house uh, most of her life. Uh, in fact, our son Mark, on his way back from school, would sometimes call in and he would read to her. And uh, as the autumn was coming, she would say to him, I, I expect it's getting dark now, is it? Do you need to put the lights on? Would you like to make a cup of tea? You'll find the matches. And she'd tell him all where the kettle was. She was a very ordinary lady, but a very lovely lady. And uh, she came to church, and eventually her sight, uh, her hearing began to fail. And uh, one of the ladies in the church got a special microphone and box, and she sat near the front, and she could hear uh, the service in that way. And she went into an old people's home in Hollywell, and I used to go to visit her. She was sitting in the, in the ward, uh, couldn't see, couldn't hear, and uh, I would arrive with that box and the microphone, and I'd put it on and say, hello, Mrs. Lees, and tell her who I was, and start talking to her, and I'd say, how are you, Mrs. Lees? And she would always say, I'm fine, thank you. And how are you? And how is Mrs. Milson? How are the children? She never, ever complained. She had no stimulus to her mind, but obviously she was focused upon God. And uh, she was a wonderful example of a, of a believer who was trusting God and was nothing but thankful to him. She never raised the question of why she had lost her sight, uh, why she was losing her hearing, but she had that simple trust in the Lord. I wonder, are we thankful 
for all the Lord's blessings and mercies to us. And are our prayers and our conversation marked by a genuinely thankful spirit, especially in a day-to-day when moaning seems to be the, the norm, complaining about this and that, and nobody can do anything right, and uh, everything that's going on in life is wrong. But Mary is thankful. She's thankful to the Lord that he's been mindful of her humble estate. In fact, she's, she's thankful for God himself, not just what he's given her, not just what he's doing in her life, not just what he's promised her, for who he is. That's the focus, really, uh, of uh, her Magnificat. Uh, she says in verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, he's the mighty one. He's powerful. And uh, more than once she mentions his mercy and his kindness, his goodness. Uh, often people today ask questions, say, well, why has God allowed this? And they, as if somehow God is not kind and not merciful and not caring, uh, that he doesn't give grace to us in every situation. And she thinks of him as powerful, as holy. Holy is his name. He is different. That's why sometimes people struggle to understand God, because we try to think of him in human terms, that he is holy, he's other. There is no one who is like him. And uh, in successive generations, he has shown his kindness to his people. In the Old Testament, that word comes in Psalm 23, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I remember reading about a Scottish covenanter. I think his name was Richard Cameron. And the covenanters were fighting for freedom of religion. They were being persecuted, and he was put in prison simply because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and wanted to be free to do that. And uh, one day they, they went to him, uh, those who were persecuting him, went to him in prison. And uh, they had killed his son, and they had cut his hands off. And they showed these hands to the father, and they said, do you, do you recognize these hands? And he said, yes, they are my sons, my own dear sons. And it is the Lord who has promised that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, who can do, do me no harm. The powerful thing is the wickedness of men, the cruelty of men, and the mercy and the kindness of God. And that elderly man found comfort in that, as Mary, this young girl, found comfort in the mercy of God. How do we respond to the Lord? The psalmist says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. That fear of God is not terror. It's that awe, that respect for God and that knowledge that he is merciful. And then she also, Mary takes uh, encouragement and gives thanks for God's righteous kingdom principles. Uh, she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. She's reflecting on the history of Israel. 
the people like Pharaoh, for instance, in Egypt, and the successive powers that dominated and conquered Israel for a time. And she had seen how God had brought down Pharaoh and the Canaanites and the Philistines and Sennacherib of the Assyrians and Haman of the Persians and Belshazzar, and how God had brought down men who were powerful and proud, and God had lifted up Joseph and Moses and Samuel and David and Esther and Daniel, and all of those people were ordinary people, but the Lord had raised them up. There were those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. And, and we see today leaders around the world who are very, very proud. But Mary says that God has a way of bringing down those rulers from their thrones and of lifting up, of exalting the humble, the ordinary. And she contrasts his mercy to his own with his severity to those who don't fear them. And uh, she speaks of something that's done in the past, but also has confidence that he's going to do the same in the future. That, that is his way of dealing with people. Uh, that's his habitual way of action. God is predictable. Uh, we can be sure of how he will act and uh, as he reveals his character and his nature. And uh, she sees God's choice of her as one example of what God always does. She's saying, in a sense, about God's purpose for her, this is just like him. He's had regard to me, this ordinary girl in Nazareth. But all through the Old Testament, he was bringing down the proud and lifting up the humble. And uh, she sees this example as just revealing what her God is life, like. In salvation, he always scatters the proud puts down the princes, sends the rich away empty, but exalts the lowly and feeds the hungry. So a picture in the paper this morning of a, a mother and a child sitting in the middle of a road in Afghanistan, surrounded by snow. A little girl's face sitting cold and, and uh, they're begging for food. And I thought they may not receive kindness and are not receiving kindness from those who rule over them. But may they know the kindness and the mercy of God and his love and his care in Jesus Christ. There is no hope in all the world except in Jesus Christ, his son. And there are many people who may never have heard of him. This mother and little girl may never have heard of him. We long that people here, the people in Cardiff who need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ and of this God who has a kingdom and he acts according to principle. Proud people he brings down but humble people like Mary he lifts up because he turns upside down human values. In the world normally the mighty and the rich have the power, they have the last word but not in God's kingdom. And uh, through his Messiah that Mary will conceive in her womb He's going to overthrow all those who are powerful and arrogant in their minds. And he's going to bring down the thrones. And you think of the successive kingdoms since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who established the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. The might of Rome, and it's gone. And every successive kingdom of men since has gone. 
but the kingdom of God, that quiet work that has gone on. More than two billion people in the world profess to be followers of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And Mary knows that this kingdom, God's kingdom, is going to turn upside down the way that uh, people normally think. He will fill the hungry with good things and he will send the rich away empty. In every generation, those who are rich and well cared for are, are thought to be really blessed. And uh, the poor should expect to be hungry. Um, but Mary sings of a God who is, is not like men, who, who is different. And he turns things upside down. And this child that she is going to bear is going to establish a kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so his coming is the beginning of a process where God breaks into this world and uh, there's a message. There's a message of good news to proclaim. And it's wonderful we have opportunities to do that at this Christmas time when people who perhaps for the rest of the year don't take much notice of Christian things begin perhaps to sing carols, uh, to hear of him. Uh, about eight years ago, I was coming home from Papua uh, after visiting a, a tribe in the Papuan hills uh, who were receiving their, the Bible in their own language, the fourth completed translation out of the 272 languages in Papua. And it was a wonderful time of celebration. We flew back and we, uh, we were in Bali, and uh, a Muslim city, an airport, and we were sitting there, it was mid-December, and there in that Muslim country, through the loudspeakers uh, in the airport came the words of, not the words, the music of joy to the world. The Lord has come. And I thought, how wonderful. Biggest population of Muslim people in the world. And somehow, perhaps unbeknown to them, the message of Jesus was being proclaimed. Um, but that joy, that tribe had that joy because people took the gospel to them and other tribes too. Uh, some had lost their lives in doing that. Um, but that message that rings out around the world, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And Mary's thinking about that, isn't she, as she looks forward to the birth of Jesus. And then she makes it very personal. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. God has a particular care for his people. Uh, isn't it an encouraging thing, thing to, to realize that, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God helps us. We sometimes think of help as a rather ordinary thing, but it's, it's often the very thing that we need. Someone to come alongside us. In the New Testament, the word for the Holy Spirit, which we sometimes translate comforter or counselor, parakletos, it, it speaks of a helper, one who comes alongside in order to help. And Mary knows that as she faces, a, for her unknown future, all that this is going to involve, that, that God will be her help, he will be her encouragement. And he's doing for her what he's done for Israel throughout its history. And she's part of that nation. And because she is there as a, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the faithfulness of God to the patriarchs and to the people will continue. And that she will be gracious to her. 
On one occasion, Jesus was in the little community of Nain, and as he was coming, there was a widow, and she was bringing out her only son on a, a funeral pyre. He died, and uh, he was probably being buried either the day that he died or the next day, and there was the cordage coming out, and Jesus stopped the cordage, and he, he raised the boy to life, and he gave his son, the son back to his mother. And we're told they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. What a powerful help. What can you do for a mother who's lost her only son, a widow who's lost her only son? Jesus helped her. He gave her back her son. And you think of your situation perhaps and you feel that need for help and, and the, the God whom Mary rejoices in is one who came, comes to, to help us in our need. And uh, so she's able to say that the mighty one, he says it in verse 49, has done great things for me. So you think about the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. Is that what you think? The mighty one has done great things for me, for all who believe, for all who put their trust in him. And here is Mary. She's, she's just received the news of, a few months before. She's coming to terms with it. She's been having to cope with Joseph's uh, struggle regarding it. But she's just overwhelmed with God, her God. She magnifies him. And that's what we often need to do, don't we? We need to magnify God. I put it this way, as you think about God, which end of the telescope are you looking through? You know, you can look through the one end and everything's small. Or you can turn it round and you can see everything magnified. As we come into this Advent period, will, will the Lord be magnified in your thinking? Uh, in, your pur in his purposes in Jesus Christ and in his particular concern for you and for the peoples of this world in all their need. And Mary has that vision of what God is going to do through this child that she has wonderfully and supernaturally conceived. And, you know, through this Christmas period, amidst all the other things that go on, uh, our focus needs to be upon this child too. But you notice the humility of Mary? There's something ordinary about her, and yet there's something remarkable about her. You know, our society makes uh, a lot of the celebrities, the big people, the papers are full of the celebrities, what dress they've worn and where they've been and all the rest of it. Mary stands out as someone who probably had very little financially, uh, who worked hard every day in the home, and yet who, who God had regarded. One of our hymns says, Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? Who am I? Mary says that, but, but God has come to help her. Uh, she is his handmaid, She's his female servant. She wants to serve him all her life. And one of the commentators says, she uses the language of one who has been taught by the grace of God to feel her own sin. Like you and me, she needed a savior. And he goes on to say, humility is the highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. And it's within our reach 
to be like Mary in our response to God as he has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. We sang at the beginning of our service, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. And when we become conscious of him, and when he draws near, on the one hand we're amazed, and on the other hand we want to praise him and to magnify him. My soul, as your soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant.